the owners and players finally, at long last, come to an agreement. Also, Derek Jeter steps down as Marlins CEO, and is still signing your fake unsigned free agents. I'll talk about all that coming up here on Total Bases. Alright, welcome to Total Bases here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today is Friday, March 11th, and I am Mark Burrito. So, as I mentioned, the season is finally set to begin. A little delayed on April 7th, but just still plan to get in a full 162 games in spite of this long and arduous delay and uh, dispute between the owners and players. So they finally came up with an agreement. In general, it seems like it's kind of a good agreement for the players. Most of the things that are going to change are going to change in favor of the players. For example, there's a new arbitration bonus pool of $50 billion. I know it's a lot less than what the players wanted, but it still is a win for them in terms of how it's changing. And then here are some things that really benefit them. A big rise in competitive tax thresholds that will give less deterrence to the owners who just spend whatever they want. There's a big rise in minimum salary, I think from 570000 to 700000 in just one year. And it's going to continue to go up a bit over the next few years. There's going to be a draft lottery, so no longer will the worst record automatically get the number one draft pick. They'll give less deterrence to teams, less reason for teams to want to just tank the season the way we feed, say, the Pirates and to some extent the Marlins do by just not really spending anything. Obviously, the Pirates are the kind of clear-cut example of that. So no longer will they automatically get a top draft pick. We could even see potentially like teams that kind of finished around 500. Anything that misses the playoffs is eligible for the number one draft pick. And I believe that the entire draft order is going to kind of be determined somewhat randomly, although there will still be some bet. There will be more likelihood that a lower record will finish with a higher draft pick. But it's going to be much more random than it was, obviously. And then one other thing is that there's going to be a new committee of player and owner representatives to decide rule changes. It used to just be that the owners would unilaterally implement rule changes, things like a pitch clock or um, bigger bags, which are, it doesn't seem like that big. It's just for player safety, um, you know, the shift regulation. Those things will now be decided between players and owners, and hopefully this is going to allow changes to be made more quickly. Then the owners just kind of deciding it themselves. If there's a lot of agreement on everything, then the theory is that it should be able to implement changes quicker. They've been very successful in getting changes done recently. They did have the man visits restricted to six per team a few years ago. That hasn't really impacted things very much. And then there is a three batter minimum, but yet again, does it seem to have a huge impact? You still see a lot of pitching changes in games. So I think sort of like the pitch clock would obviously be a much bigger difference. The shift would really change the game as well if they, you know, outlawed it or significantly altered it. You know, having two feelers have to be on each side of the field would make a huge difference in the game. I don't think it would actually result in less swing for the fences. It would probably result in more since there would not really be any punishment to just selling out for the homer and pulling the ball all the time. So I'm not sure if that would give the outcome the league wads, which is guys putting the ball in play more, using the whole field, not selling out for the home button. But 
as I mentioned, those are all things that seem to mostly benefit the players. However, the big thing that benefits the owners, and this is kind of the big story, that the playoffs are going for 10 teams to 12. Now, there was the owners did want a 14-team playoffs, but still, 10 teams to 12 teams is a pretty significant difference. The top two division winners are going to get buys. And then the other four teams will just play three-game wildcard series. So no longer are there any one-game playoffs. There's going to be two, three-game series in each league. And kind of the big change is that the division winner with the worst record, the three-seed, will have to win three full series. No longer will all division winners just you know, get two series to, the, to get to the World Series. They'll have to win three full series and then the World Series. So basically four series if they want to win the World Series. So, I don't think it's so great, and it's not really addressing the big problem, which is, you know, we saw last year the Dodgers win 106 games, and they had to win a one-game playoff. Well, this doesn't fix that, since the top two division winners get buys. Oh, no wildcard team king in a buy, even if they win 106 games like the Dodgers last year. Last year, the Brewers, who won 95 games, would have gotten a buy over the Dodgers. So, considering that... All, there was all this talk about how last year with the Do Giants and Dodgers having by far the two best records in baseball, the Dodgers don't even win a division and have to play a one-game playoff. Well, that would be a three-game series, which I do think is a modest advantage for them as the better team is going to have a better chance in a longer series since they'll kind of get to use their entire pitching staff more, a bigger sample size. You think that the better team should win out in a three-game series if it's as big a difference as, say, Dodgers-Cardinals. Of course, the Dodgers did win the World Game Series last year. But it's not a huge difference. The Dodgers would still have to win three full series. And that could. there's also a consideration that playing three games kind of wears you thin. So I think that maybe the top two teams will like this. So we're facing teams that are really worn out entering the second round of the playoffs. Basically, what this format is, is it's almost exactly what the NFL's format used to be until they changed it two years ago, with two top two teams getting by, so then four of the teams playing a lot of card round. One thing that was said to really help the players and just help the game is service time manipulation is going to be disciplined. However, I don't think it really is being disciplined that much. What they've changed is that if you finish in the top three in Rookie of the Year or the top three in MVP or Cy Young, which... Or, yeah, top three Rookie of the Year or top five in MVP or Cy Young, your team will get a draft pick. So, and then if you finish in the top two in Rookie of the Year, you get a full year of service time no matter what. The thing about these is that they only affect rookies who happen to do extremely well. Most, the vast majority of rookies don't finish in the top three in Rookie of the Year. And if you don't finish in the top three in Rookie of the Year, you're never going to finish in the top five in MVP or Cy Young. So, that's kind of irrelevant. So if you're not finishing the top three rookie of the year, then this doesn't change anything. So that's not that much incentive to not to leave your guys behind for two for two or three weeks at the start of the year to delay their service time a year. There is some reason I think that the draft picks make some difference since teams don't want to hang guys back until like July for the Super Two deadline. Plus there is a as I mentioned earlier, there's the pre-arb bonus pool, so some pre-arbitration players in their first couple of years will be able to make extra money if they play well. This, there are some measures being taken to get teams to get guys and 
get any young players who are probably going to come up and produce really well right away up to the major league instead of holding them back. But I still don't think there's much reason to not hold guys back three weeks at the start of the season, the way we saw that Cubs do with Chris Bryant. And we've seen that happen with several other guys, Blue Jays with Vlad Jr. And the thing is, Chris Bryant did win Rookie of the Year, so he would have gotten a full year of service time anyway under this format. However, the vast majority of quality rookies don't end up finishing the top two or three in Rookie of the Year. For example, like, last year, Jared Kellenick was horrible, and everyone thought he was going to be really good. I mean, Vlad Jr., he, for two years, he kind of was relatively mediocre until he had his huge breakout year last year. So a lot of the time, it, they just don't do well, and then it just is the same thing. So if I'm a team and I'm wondering, do I want to hold this guy back just three weeks and be guaranteed, or not guaranteed anymore, but still likely, unless he does really well, which is kind of a win for me anyway. I win either way. Even if I hold a guy back three weeks, either he does exceptionally well and you know, finish in the top two or three rookie of the year, or... I get the extra year of service time since you know, that player's not going to get it. And, um, but in the alternative, when he does do extremely well, that's really nice. Also, you get draft picks. If he does really well, that gives you reason to bring him up. But he can still win Rookie of the Year playing 140 games and missing the first three weeks of the season. So I, I don't think that is really that impactful. I, I think what this might change is Teams will not save guys up until, like, late July for the... Or, it's not necessarily late July, maybe, like, early July, late June. We saw the Rays do that with Wanda Franco last year. And I think they probably wouldn't do that under this format. Wanda Franco is probably ready a bit sooner than the Rays brought him up. But under this format, there wouldn't have been much reason to do that, since he would have been eligible for pre-arbitration bonus pool money anyway, regardless of when his arbitration begins. Plus, they would have wanted to get him, you know, an extra couple months, maybe, which would definitely make a difference in Rookie of the Year, finishing a top two or three in Rookie of the Year. But as far as that holding guys back at the start of the year, I don't think that really changes at all. So, I think that that's it in terms of the big changes that have taken place for this new agreement. One thing that I noticed is that, as I mentioned, the owner's are saying 162 games are going to be played. It seems like that's going to be the case, but the season's going to start on April 7th, so the first two series... No, actually, I think it's four series. No, it's two series, since they went from four to two. Are going to... So the first two series of the season are going to be canceled, and then the, apparently they're going to be... Yeah, they're going to be postponed and then made up later in the season, but what I was thinking they'd be stick them, was I was thinking they were going to stick them at the end of the season. But they're actually not going to do that. Apparently they're going to sprinkle these, all these games into, like, off days, and they're going to have a lot of double adders. That's going to drastically alter the scope of the season. They're going to be packing a ton of games into the, a smaller length of time, and... I think this is really going to wear the players thin. It's going to result in, you know, maybe teams needing to bring a lot of guys up and down. We might see pitchers only making, like, 31 starts maximum. We might not see, like, the 32, 33 starts from, you know, your ace pitcher. 
since the season's going to be shorter. The guys are going to need more off days. There might be more injuries due to playing so many games in shorting periods of time. I mean, how are you going to fit in seven extra games into, like, the off days of the season? That's really going to change the season. And it's really going to be weird that entire series are going to be sprinkled in here and there instead of being full series. And I think it's really odd. I'm not sure why they didn't just add in these extra games to the end of the season. So, and there are definitely some concerns about how the season's going to go. They're kind of trying to fast track it a bit. Opening day is April 7th, so that is just 27 days away from today. And yet, we're not going to see preseason games begin until a week from now. So there's only be three weeks of preseason games, which is relatively small. And also I heard that teams probably won't want to push their main players into the early preseason games. So we might only see a couple of weeks, maybe like two to two and a half weeks for you know, starting players. So it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. So there was some other big news right before all this in baseball, which is Derek Jeter stepping down as Marlins CEO and president. And also, he's no longer a 4% owner of the team. So, apparently, Jeter didn't like the direction Amon's franchise was taking, since he's been around for four years, and mostly they've been rebuilding. He traded away everyone when he got there, Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna, and others. And I guess Jeter, it seems like he thought that the Marlins were going to be ready to spend and try to really win right now. And yet, he said, you know, the direction of the franchise is different than what I signed up for. Apparently, he signed up for, by 2022, we're going to be spending big and trying to win, or at least spending modestly big. And this franchise doesn't seem to be doing that. They traded away Stalling Marte at the trade them last year for a, a young pitching prospect on the A's, Jesus Luzardo. We haven't seen them do anything that big this offseason. They did get Avasiel Garcia for a four-year, $53 million deal, but that's not that much money. And apparently, you know, Jeter would have wanted to do more stuff when the offseason ended and maybe the ownership wasn't thinking they'd do that. Of course, maybe this isn't true and maybe Jeter is just frustrated with the way that he hasn't really done the job well and they've lost so much while he's been there. That is a possibility, but I guess we'll see now that the season is back on track. We'll see what the Marlins do, and if they don't do anything, it's offseason that kind of does justify Judah's position, which is that he wanted to do things and the organization and the ownership didn't. And in general, this is kind of interesting since it kind of supports what the players have been saying about teams not trying to win. The Marlins have not been trying to win at all for the last four years. So why are they not now trying to win? It's been four years. I mean, how long are you going to just kind of accept being a bad team? They obviously need some help on offense. They've got a nice core of young pitchers, but I mean, there's plenty of good hitters out there on the market right now. Most of the remaining free agents are hitters. The only big pitcher really is Clayton Kershaw, although there is also Carlos Rodon has got some health issues, but could potentially be a nice deal, but it's mostly hitters. Freeman, Correa, Bryant, Castellanos, Story, Conforto, Nelson Cruz. And speaking of those guys, obviously, they're going to want to sign pretty soon. As I mentioned, things are already kind of 
in a time crunch right now with only four weeks to go until the start of the season. Only one week to go until preseason games begin. So these guys better get their minds together pretty soon. There's been some rumors in just a day or so since all this came down. For example, that A's are shopping Matt Olsen potentially, and the Yankees and Rangers are interested. And this also kind of folds into Freddie Freeman, the big free agent for Spaceman from the Braves. I've also, we've also heard the Yankees be connected to Freeman. So the Yankees potentially going after Freeman Ian Olsen. Is, that's kind of interesting. I think that also makes a bit of sense for the Yankees since they could potentially trade Voight. However, if the Yankees get Freeman, I don't do understand that there's a universal DH. That's one thing I didn't mention in the intro. Another kind of bonus for the players, probably. Although not necessarily as straightforward as some of the other ones. Luke Voigt is a perfect fit for an NL team. But Brian Cashman generally isn't good at trading players, so if I were the Yankees, I might look to you know, get Olsen, get Voight involved directly in that Olsen trade, or I might just, you know, stand pat. Freeman's also been connected to the Dodgers and the Braves, who, I mean, he's a pretty big central aspect of that entire recent run of Braves winning, culminating in last year's World Series championship. If I were the Braves, I'd certainly look to try to bring Freeman back. Another team, the Blue Jays. Interesting. I would say they've got Vlad Jr., so, I'm not sure if that's really such a great idea. They did also just sign Greg Bird to a minor league contract, so that obviously significantly reduces their need for a guy like Freeman at first base. That is um, a joke, in case you were aware. So, I would expect Freeman to probably go back to the Braves. That's kind of where I think he's going to head. The Dodgers, I think, is the second most realistic place for him to go. Carlos Correa is another big name, obviously. A guy people have been talking about. We've heard him be linked to the Yankees. The Tigers. Well, the Tigers did just sign Javier Baez, so they might be a little bit less inclined to bring in Correa. The Astros are still in the mix. However, Correa made some comments a while back that it seemed like he might want to play for the Cubs. I think the Cubs make a decent amount of sense. Correa seems to want a 10-year deal. So, if you're the Cubs, even if they might not be contending this year, I still think that they're not looking to have a five, six-year run of being terrible and completely rebuilding. So, Correa could help them for the vast majority of that contract, maybe. And I actually think that even in the next couple of years, they probably intend to be a contender. They just signed Marcus Stroman to what I think was the steal of the offseason, three years, $71 million. It was kind of a surprise since we didn't think the Cubs would be hugely interested in contending for the next three years. But that's a great deal. Strowman for $24 billion a year and only for three years. He's definitely one of the top 20, maybe top 15 pitchers in baseball. So I think that they could maybe make a couple of moves and try to contend this year. They've got some ground ball pitchers, Strowman, Wade Biley, Kyle Hendricks, and Correa is good defensively. So he would really help them if they stuck him at shortstop. If they got Correa and one more big bat... Maybe they try to bring back Chris Bryant. I mean, there's a lot of other options if that's not something that's going to work. Then I think the Cubs could maybe contend. It doesn't seem like a super strong division. I'm not all in on the Brewers as a great dominant team. 
I mean, the NL to me seems very heavy in the West in terms of where the power is in that division. Dodgers, Giants, Padres, that really seems to overwhelm everything that's in the East and the Central. So if I'm the Marlins, as I mentioned earlier, as I talked about them, I think the Marlins really need to be thinking about contending. And I think the same kind of goes for a team like the Cubs. They just signed Marcus Stroman. That's a commitment. They also got Clint Frazier, which I think was a nice value move. If you're going to go half in, you might as well go all and then try to win that division, which seems winnable. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot as the season goes along. The playoff format does kind of seem to continue to make it easier to make the playoffs. So there'll be that means more motivation for like a, a kind of a subpar team to maybe try to sneak into the back end of the playoffs. I don't know if it changes the top team's motivations that much. And to do have that first round bye, so there is some motivation to be good. So I, I, don't, I don't know if it makes a huge difference, but I do think that it's going to create more motivation for mediocre teams to think they can make the playoffs. It kind of makes what the Texas Rangers have done this offseason make a bit more sense. Since it's they're, they're going to be hard-pressed to be one of the top five teams in the league, but top six teams may be a bit more reasonable. And they just signed Seager and uh, Semyon. They've still got a long way to go, but another move or two, maybe they bring in Clayton Kershaw... I mentioned they were looking at Olsen. However, I believe that Olsen or Kershaw are maybe the only moves they're considering making since I don't think they're going to be spending another $25 million a year. You know, Sean got $200 million. But Kershaw and Olsen are kind of guys they could bring in at a lower pr- money price. They'd have to go out prospects for Olsen, of course. But the, what the Rangers do, is doing makes a bit more sense. I still don't really believe in them having a decent shot at being a top-six team because they've got so long to go. Because they were so bad last year, they don't seem to have upside really on the roster but you know I think that they might as well go all in and really try to compete the next few years it's been a while since the Rangers were any good all right that's going to wrap up for this week on Total Bases as we're out of time but we'll be back again next week with more baseball talk here on Total Bases on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM